Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. thankful to see everyone who serves here on a Sunday and as you walk in here and the, and the sound team and, the, and the, the worship team and all the projection stuff is happening and, and, and chairs are being put out and just so thankful that we can be a body that does this together but as you've heard now already we're talking a little bit about something special that the Lord's doing in our midst which is raising our people to take the gospel where the gospel is not heard and today we want to slow down and focus a little bit our attention on this idea of being mission-minded as a church. And so we're not going to be in the book of Galatians today. We're actually going to spend some time in the book of Philippians. Philippians. Now, as you guys know, recently was my birthday and someone gave me this extraordinary gift. Honestly, it was like, wow, this is ridiculous. The kind of graciousness they, they gave me in this gift. And they jokingly said to me, they are living vicariously through me because they gave me this experience to have for my birthday. Which is another way for them saying, he is simply enjoying that experiencing what I'm experiencing. So he's going to live out this experience through what I'm going to experience. And he's happy to do that because this is something he would never do. He would never do this kind of thing. But he said he's happy for me to do it and so he's going to enjoy it through me. But now if we actually slow down and think about it, in a sense, that is what happens when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian. By faith, you've been so united to Jesus. And essentially what happens is, as we've been saying, is that Christ lives His missionary life through you. Christ lives His missionary life through you. Because one of the realities of our union with Christ is that God uses what we do here at church and how we live our lives outside the church, in the world out there, to put His gospel grace on display through the way we live our God-fearing lives. Which means God has made us all ambassadors, right? We're all ambassadors. I mean, even this last week I met with... Uh, an ambassador, he came to the baby home and he wanted to know more about the ministry. And I asked him, do you like being an ambassador? He said, no, I don't like being an ambassador because I only spend time with people that are like me. All the people around me that's like me. I never get to go out into the, to the world and experiencing what the country is like. But we as Christians, we have a different, don't we? We are to point people to the life the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And sometimes God does this specifically by calling an individual or a family to the frontline missions of what He's doing, like He's doing with Akani and Lorato as they're getting ready to go to Kabungeni in Limpopo. Where people leave a certain place and are sent out by our local church to go and reach others with the good news about Jesus. Sometimes it can mean that God is actually raising up a larger group of people who are already living in a certain area like we see with Pretoria West. Where there's no Bible teaching church in that area to start a new work where there's a real need for the gospel. But we know that regardless of where you are right now, whether it's here in Pretoria at home or work, wherever the Lord has put you, you have been united to Christ. His Spirit is at work in you and is calling you to be His representative. No matter where you are living. See, but one thing we clearly see in the Bible is that God has a great plan for salvation and He has planned to work through His united body. His united body, the local church. And because we are united to Him and to other believers, He's at work in us and through us as a church family to make Him known all over the world. And so if you stop and think about it, if you've experienced this work of salvation and you've truly received the gift of the Holy Spirit, then you and I should want everyone everywhere to know Jesus as Lord. It should grieve us as we look around us and we see people aren't living for the glory of God. As we look to this world, it should motivate us to go and to reach new communities, the villages, our neighbors, our families, with the truth of the gospel. See, the goal is not only that people can receive true forgiveness for their sins, but we want to see them live transformed lives. Transform lives where it's evident that Jesus is the Lord. He is the King of every area of their life. So what Paul is going to make clear today is that if people live as if Jesus is truly Lord, that brings glory to the Father. And we've been talking a lot about the doctrine and this truth of how sinful people like you and me can be made right with the Holy God as we've been studying Galatians. And we've seen it's only by faith in Jesus, not because of anything we have done or could do. And as we keep on saying this truth of the gospel, it really changes us. It changes us. It changes our priorities. It changes our focus. It gives us new purpose in this life. It influences the way we make decisions. All because we've been united to Jesus and His Spirit is living and at work in us. This, which means we go and make disciples of all nations, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Go make disciples of all nations. And then in Luke, in Luke 14, 23, He says this, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. You see, but the thing with the good news is that God doesn't just want to bring the world to the church. He wants to bring the church to the world. He wants to bring the church to the world. And He does this by having His blood-bought children follow His example and reach out to the, to the tax collectors and the sinners of this world. 
Like in Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, it's through intentional outreach that the goal is to see the lost sheep return to the shepherd. To see sinners truly repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. Only even if it's just the one. We do all this work even if it's just the one. Because if that one person can bring glory to the Father, then we say praise God. Sacrificing for the good of the one. Where we go to introduce Jesus to people everywhere. So they can bring glory to the Father. And so as we get to the book of Acts, as you get to the book of Acts, we see the local church is established at, where the, the Holy Spirit is poured out uh, on the church. And what do we see the early church do? What does the early church do? Acts 2.42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So what specifically do we see the community of faith doing in the early church here? We see them listening to the teaching of God's word through the apostles. We see them enjoying fellowship, sharing meals, corporate prayer. They were in awe together about what God is doing in them and through them. They shared their belongings. They worshiped together on a regular basis. They practiced generosity. And all this led to them finding favor in the community. And so you can clearly see that the church exists to experience the powerful presence of God, but also to make Him known to everyone around them. And what did God do as a result of all of this? Verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we think of the Apostle Paul. He was this formidable missionary, wasn't he? He had the focus to plant churches wherever he went. He could travel through the most difficult circumstances to see people come to know Jesus as Lord. He would endure great opposition and suffering, stonings, beatings, being left for dead, just to see people come to know Jesus as Lord. And so what we need to recognize is as we doing all this, and part, he's partnering with other believers. Who did he partner with? He partnered with Barnabas and Titus and Timothy and Apollos. And most importantly, he was partnering with God. He was partnering with God. God is at, working in, at work in these believers and through these believers. Because he is the one that's really doing the missionary work. How does Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 to 7? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, 
nor he waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, the people in Corinth, they had their focus wrong. They were more concerned about who they are following, that they were busy forgetting who is actually the one doing the work. And as we think about how God is at work through the local church because of the way He has united us in Christ and empowered us by the powerful Holy Spirit, we, we want to continue with God in this work of reaching the nations. This is not our own idea here, what we're talking about today. We don't have these nice ideas about planting churches just on our own. This is God's work. This is God's work. And seeing Him raise up more people, equipping them, using them to start God-fearing, Christ-exalting, Bible-teaching churches. And so in order for us to be excited about this, this union we have in the gospel and this, our witness to the world, I, I thought we could look at the attitude and focus we need in this important work of missions. The attitude and focus we need in this important work of missions. Because there's no purpose, church. There's no purpose in making all these plans, all these sacrifices for the good of the kingdom, talking about church plotting and partnering with God in this work if we are doing it with the wrong motives. If we're doing it with the wrong attitude. If we're doing it with the wrong focus. And so to see what kind of attitude and focus we should have as a church family, we could consider the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, he's, what, what an example. We could even consider the Apostle Peter and how he preached under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in the days of the early church. But I thought, let us just go to the best. Let us look at the best missionary there ever was and ever will be and how He models to us the kind of attitude and focus we need if we are going to be truly united in this work of reaching the lost and bringing glory to the Father. And of course, we're talking about who? We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So please take your Bibles now and let's turn to Philippians, the book of Philippians. Next Sunday we'll get back to Galatians, but... Donovan's going to come up after this message. He's going to share more about what God's doing amongst us and talking about this church plant. And we need to be excited about this church and we need to recognize what a huge privilege this is. But let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 and we'll put some fresh missions-focused eyes on this text, this iconic text of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's read from verses 1 to 11. Our main emphasis will be on verses 5 to 11, but just for the context, let's read from verse 1. Paul writes, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, in this iconic, and this is a heavy portion of Scripture of Philippians, Paul is helping us see how he's exhorting the church about true unity. True unity. And he calls them to have a specific mindset in verse 5. A mindset that is similar to the mindset of Jesus himself. A mindset that helps them know how the church should function together if we are going to be a faithful witness to the people around us. So Paul wants us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Paul wants the church to keep their eyes on Jesus. And so in verses 5 to 11 of chapter 2 here, Paul magnifies the humility and the exaltation of Jesus. And as we take another closer look at this section, it should lead us to follow Jesus' example and worship Him as Lord of our lives, which then should motivate us to see everyone in this world come to live under His Lordship. Because as they do, they bring glory to the Father. That's the goal, right? So just think of the context here for a moment. If you look back at verses 1 to 4, Paul essentially tells the Philippians to avoid any kind of rivalry and fighting and being proud, but rather the church is to produce sacrificial, selfless care towards one another. Then in verse 5, he draws the attention to the attitude and actions of Jesus. He is the best example of what it looks like to think of others, to be motivated to serve others, and to reach others, no matter the cost. And then in verses 6 to 11, he just jumps into all this theological truth about Jesus. But his intention is not just to have this theological doctrine be in front of them about the person and work of Christ. He wants this to have practical implications for the church. That should cause the church to be in awe of God. Because the church that's in awe of God will follow the example of God, and specifically the example of Jesus. And this will be a church that is truly unified in our love for each other and also our love for the lost. Our love for each other and then our love for the lost. Because in verse 15 he says, their witness is important as they live in this crooked and twisted generation among whom your light shines to the world. Now a proud church, your light will not shine if we are a proud church. We want to see every knee bow and every tongue confess the absolute authority and lordship of the exalted Jesus. Because that's what he says in verse 10. Paul, after Paul explains this great humiliation Jesus experienced when he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, God exalted him and gave him a title in this position of supreme authority. And this authority extends to every single person and every place imaginable. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, Paul says. So Jesus shows us in His work of being the world's best missionary that you have to go down before you can go up. You have to go down before you can go up. 
And if we're going to see God at work in this church by making us a unified, sacrificial, missions-minded church, then we need the right missions attitude and the right missions focus. So let's start with the right missions attitude. This is verses 6 to 8. The right missions attitude. Now remember, it's because the fact that we are united in Christ, we are in Christ, that we can actually live out this exaltation. To serve and follow Christ wherever He leads with the right attitude. And what is that key attitude? What is that key attitude? It's humility, right? Humility. In this section, Jesus shows us what true humility really looks like. I like how one man says it. He says, humility is one of those things where if you think you have it, you don't. If you think you have it, you don't. This is the same as what Romans 12, 3 says. For by the grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, if you consider even the time when Paul's writing this to uh, to the Philippians in the New Testament. The Greeks didn't even have a word for humility. Can you imagine? This concept of thinking lowly of yourself was so foreign to them that the word humility actually only came along after the church was started. So we could then ex- essentially say, because of Jesus' example, when everyone wants to know what humility looks like, where should they look? To the church, Right? To the church. The church is to be this wonderful picture of Christ-like humility. And God clearly says, because here's the problem, no one can enter the narrow gate of heaven without this attitude. No one can enter the narrow gate of heaven without this attitude. And if Christ is to fill our lives and live through our lives, We have to empty ourselves if we are going to be the faithful witness that He calls us to be. We need the humble response as we look at Jesus. He is the example we see that can, and we can break this down to have the right missions attitude in three sections. Now, starting in verse 6, if you're going to imitate the humility of Jesus, you've got to be willing to give it all up for the good of others. Check this out. You've got to be willing to give it all up for the good of others, verse 6. See, Paul writes in verse 5, Had this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so the reality we see in this text is that Jesus was in this exalted position in heaven, right? But then he laid that all aside, didn't he? He gave it up, this divine position of glory, when He stepped down from that exalted position to do missions. But to understand more about what it means that He gave up, look at what Paul says. He says, though He was in the form of God. And the word for means Jesus has always been God. This is Paul describing Jesus' pre-incarnate status. From eternity past, Jesus was fully and truly divine. To the Colossians, Paul said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So this has to do with who Jesus is, the the inner nature of Jesus. This is what Paul is referring to. Not the outer form or, or appearance of Jesus. 
Paul is telling us that everything about the Lord Jesus, His infinity, His majesty, His omnipotence, His glory, authority, holiness, His righteousness, this is who He is. He lacks nothing in the form of God. His nature is all God. And though Jesus is always God, Paul says, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Which is another way of saying, Jesus didn't look at His nature and His exalted status and and being equal with God and think, well, you know what? This gives me grounds to just get what I want and do what I want. He wasn't interested in just pleasing Himself, even though He has all the right in the world to do so, being equal with God the Father. But when it was time to go on this mission trip to rescue sinful mankind, Jesus could have said, well, I am the one of glory. I am in this position of glory. I would rather stay in my exalted position. But rather, He shows us what true humility looks like. Being willing to leave the exalted position of glory for the good of other people. And this is the attitude we need if, we, if we're going to serve Him like this. Because maybe as you look at your life, and you think of living for Jesus, and having Jesus living through you, you have a hard time of letting go of your position. Maybe you have a hard time of letting go of your positions, your comfort. Is it maybe that we think of ourselves higher than we ought to think? God says we need an attitude of true humility. And He's speaking out of experience because as we look to Jesus, we see God willing to give up His exalted position so that He can go and be that agent of change that the world so desperately needed. Again, we are impressed when missionaries leave their homes in places like America to come to Africa. To go live in the villages of Africa in, in such a different context. But that doesn't compare to what the Lord Jesus gave up to come to sinful world. This world of brokenness, discomfort, inconvenience, bad governance, corruption. But it's when we keep our eyes on Jesus. The greatest missionary there will ever be. That we see the kind of humble mindset we need. If we are going to be a faithful witness of the gospel. An attitude that doesn't think highly of themselves and doesn't grip your possession so tight that it can't let go where the Lord is leading you. An attitude that is willing to let go of your busy position in society, even in the church, that you only want to get things done your way. But rather use your gifts and your talents for the good of others. Again, just think of Jesus. When He was here on earth divinely as God, He was tempted in the wilderness, right? And the and devil says to him, Satan says to him, turn these stones into bread. He could have done it in an instant, right? He could have done it in a moment. But what does he do? What do we see him do? He uses his ability to take, to take two loaves of bread to feed the multitudes, to feed the thousands of people. He doesn't use his abilities to serve himself. He uses it to serve the good of others. And the reality is, if you are a Christian, again, because you've been united to Jesus and you have this new position before God, you have special privileges before God, you've been gifted by God, and you are divinely blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
And that should cause us to have the right view of others and ourselves as we recognize that we can give up the world because of always knowing what we have securely in Jesus. You can let go of your status, your preferences, your opinions, and be willing to follow Him wherever He leads, knowing that you will always be richly supplied in Jesus. And that also means that if we have the right attitude of humility, we need to be willing to embrace another context. That's verse 7. That's verse 7. Be willing to embrace another context. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Can you imagine Jesus, who is perfect God, willing to take on human nature, willing to step completely into a new context, so much so that he added human nature to his being. So when Paul says he emptied himself, Jesus wasn't emptying himself of his divine attributes. He isn't like this bucket of water that's draining all of these divine qualities out. Rather, he's emptying himself by adding this, this dirty break of human nature into his divine qualities in this bucket of glory and so what you end up with is fully God and fully man, right? And again, we are impressed when someone learns a foreign language that they can speak and relate to people and communicate to people about uh, Jesus. But Jesus didn't just add another language. He literally became like one of us. And if you think about it, if He stopped being God in that moment, in His incarnation... How could he die for the sins of the world? He would have no power to conquer sin and death. So we see Jesus giving up his divine glory. He gave up the worship of the saints and angels in heaven. And he becomes this man. This man who's misunderstood. Denied. Falsely accused. Yet as he walked this earth, as a man, he acknowledges that in John 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but of the will of the one who sent me. Jesus didn't go off and do his own thing. Even as fully God and fully man, he was always dependent on the Father through the power of the Spirit. He always only wanted to do the will of the Father. And as he left his personal face-to-face relationship with God, he emptied himself, taking on human nature. And Paul says that just taking on human nature, he explains more specifically, he took on the form of a servant. Do you see it in the text? He took on the form of a servant. And church, a humble attitude that follows the example of Christ is someone that is constantly thinking of others all the time. Paul says, he took on the form of a servant, being in the likeness of men. And that word servant in this context is doulos. We know doulos. And what does doulos mean? Slave, right? Slave. Jesus assumes the position of a slave, which is far more humbling than being a servant. Because a servant, you would hire to do certain tasks. But that servant still had his own rights. But a slave, we know, has nothing. No rights. He belonged to his master. Everything about him belonged to his master, even his life. 
And so what we see here then is that the sovereign creator God of glory is identifying with the lowest of the low. Because Jesus didn't come as royalty. Even though we know He is royalty, He came as a slave to make you royalty. And like how one man says it, he says, As a slave, Jesus served others more completely than any other servant or slave who has ever lived. The unlimited God took on the limitations of man. Because now as a man he became tired. He knew what it means to be hungry. He knows what it means to suffer through a hot day, not to have a home, not to have a car. Which means our God is the God who knows our context more than many of us even know our own context. Because He became the slave to the will of God. And Jesus is not just this alien that people could not relate to. He took on the form, the likeness of men for a purpose to bridge this vast gap between such a holy God and such sinful people like us. So that even when people looked at his life, as Matthew 8.27 says, they say, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? You see, many of us like to think we're serving God. But then we add some terms and conditions to the way we do it. We like to serve in areas that suit our preferences. We don't like to wash the feet of others because they are dirty feet, right? Maybe I should say, we don't like to wash toilets because they are too dirty. But I can guarantee you, if Jesus was in this church, He would sign up for the bathroom cleaning up team every single time. Every single time. He would find the lowest job to do because that is what He shows us in His humility. And so even as we see Jesus washing the feet of His disciples, we see Him in the very nature of God beginning to clean what He had made. Those feet that He had made. Those feet that He had a purpose for. He humbled Himself taking on the form of a slave and that should be our attitude. If we are going to be a faithful witness of the gospel, that should be our attitude. If we are going to obey the call of God in our lives, to go wherever He leads, that should be our attitude. If we are going to plant more churches and be involved in serving the body and serving the community, being willing to wash those toilets for Jesus. But then Jesus goes even further. His humility goes to the next lower level. You think, how is that even possible? He leaves his position of glory. He takes on human nature and becomes a slave. And then he's obedient to the point of being humiliated on a cross. Which means if we follow Jesus' example, we need to see that we need to be willing to lay down our lives for others. We need to be willing to lay down our lives for others, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul takes us all the way down now, from all the way up there in glory where Jesus is exalted in all his divine splendor and glory, to all the way down where he's hanging on a shameful cross, suffering the humiliation of being mocked by man, left to die. For the very ones who nailed them to that cross. 
You see, everything about Jesus shouts humility. His birth, not in a private hospital with the best nurses, but in a manger in this insignificant village. His life lived on prayer and God's daily provision for the basics. His ministry, he hanged out with the unlovable of society. And now his death, being nailed to a cross alongside two criminals. But we don't understand, we don't stand over Jesus and should feel pity for him when we look at the cross. He stands over us. Jesus stands over us. Because Paul says he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. No governor, no persecution, no president, no one can force Jesus to be humble. No one in this world can force Jesus to be humble. He humbled himself. So it's rather that when we look at Jesus, he humbles us. He humbles us. I mean, even Roman citizens couldn't even be crucified in this way because it was too humiliating to die on a cross in such a shameful way. But Jesus shows us again His level of humility and obedience because He's willing to go through the worst kind of suffering as the Lord of glory. And He's willing to take on the wrath of God on Himself. So even when people look at Him, Isaiah 53 too, He had no form of majesty. We sang about this. That we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And so as we look at Jesus hanging on the cross, we see how he humbled himself to the point of death for you. How much should this change the way we look at how we are serving God and others? One scholar says this. He says, look at him, this amazing Jesus. He is helping Joseph make a yoke in that little carpenter's shop in Nazareth. This is the one who, apart from his self-emptying, could far more easily make a solar system or a, a galaxy of systems. Look at him again. Dressed like a slave with a towel and basin for his menial equipment. He's bathing the feet of some friends who, but their quarrelsomeness, should have been washing his feet. He humbled himself. Don't forget this, Christ Paul's to the dear friends in Philippi. Don't forget this when the slightest impulse arises to become self-assertive and self-seeking and to break the bond of your fellowship with one another. None of us in this room has ever served someone else to the point of death. It's like one missionary in the field who was asked, how's it going? And his simple reply was, well, they haven't crucified me yet. Because Jesus shows us the way of weakness. He shows us the way of true humility. And then the author of Hebrews actually says in Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 9, the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was hurt because of his reverence. Although he was a son, here it is, he learned obedience 
through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Church, we need to think of our attitude as we are seeking to serve God, plant churches and reach people with the gospel of Jesus. Because to be united as a church and be a faithful witness of the gospel, let me ask you, are you willing to give up and recognize that you have no position in the society? Are you willing to follow him wherever he leads you? Are you willing to embrace another context, to get out of your comfort zone, to be the salt and light Jesus wants you to be? Being willing to learn another language, to live in a community where people are different from you, being willing to lay down your life for the good of others. Being a servant that is a slave. That is the attitude Jesus says we are to have in the church as we think about serving Him and serving others. But not only should we have the right missions attitude. This gets so good. Not only should we have the right missions attitude, we should have the right missions focus. What do we want to see? In other words... If we're going to serve Jesus humbly, what is it that we want to see as we go out and plant churches and do all this work for the kingdom? You see, in verses 9 to 11, Paul is on his way up again. After showing us how low Jesus had to go, he's now going to show how God raised his son and exalted him again, put him in this position of supreme authority. And that gives us the right focus that those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And it helps us to see even more specifically the kind of focus we should have in missions and serving others. And the first thing I think we need to see is that all people understand His name and position. Verse 9. Seeing all people understand His name and exalted position. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. See, because of his humility, God highly exalted Jesus. Which is like saying he was super elevated and put in a class of his own. He's alone in this new exalted position of glory. He re-entered the glory that he gave up when he came to die on a cross for us. He re-entered this this personal face-to-face communication with His Father. But God not only wanted to exalt Him, He bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. And you're like, what name? What is this name that is above every name? And maybe you simply think that's the name Jesus. The name Jesus. But here's the thing, the name Jesus was actually His name given to Him when He was here on earth. That was his earthly name. Jesus was the name given to him at his incarnation. And so one scholar helps us here. He says, he asked the question, what name did Jesus receive after his resurrection that he did not have before? It's not Jesus, he says. Jesus is precisely the name of the humble servant who went to Calvary. But then in Acts 2.36, Peter says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
It was His Lordship and His Messiahship, His Messianic Lordship that was bestowed on Him at His exaltation. He explains further, not that the Messiah, not that He wasn't Messiah and Lord before His resurrection, He was. But He had not fulfilled the mission of the Messiah until He had died for our sins and risen again. And so before His death and resurrection, the Lordship of Christ was all over the world. It, it had not been brought to its full completion. And so you see on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we see Jesus winning. Jesus winning. He had victory over sin, Satan, and death. And the name that is above every name then is the name Lord. Jesus is Lord. As the verse 11 says, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. And because Jesus was and is victorious over all His enemies, He's now exalted and reigns as Lord, which means that believers can have the assurance, the absolute assurance, their salvation is certain. Their place in heaven is secure. But the only way for anyone to have that kind of certainty is if they submit to Him as Lord. They have to submit to Him as Lord, which is the very next thing that we want to see if we're going to be a missions-minded church. We want to see all people submit to Him as Lord. Paul writes, so that at the name of Jesus, which we now know as Lord, at the name of Jesus, Lord, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Isn't that what we want to see when we're talking about new church plants? As we speak to our co-workers, as we talk to our family members, we want to see all people everywhere bow their knees to the King. So first people need to understand that Jesus is Lord. They need to first understand that He is Lord. And if someone, by the grace of God, comes to see that Jesus is Lord, what happens? You bow your knee to the King. You get off your high horse of pride and selfishness and you submit to the King of glory. Because this is what the prophet Isaiah said will happen. Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. I mean this is the highest authority that can be sworn by, God says. I swore, I swore by myself that from my mouth has gone out righteousness, a word that shall not return. This is going to happen. This is guaranteed, guys. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance to God. And so do you see the extent of all this? Who's going to bow their knees? Who's going to bow their knees to the King of glory in His exalted new state? Those in heaven, Paul says, those in heaven, the angels, and all believers who are already with Him in heaven. Those on the earth. Believers and unbelievers who are, who are here on earth. And so those who are saved and have bowed their knee to Jesus already as Lord, they will continue to do so even into eternity. But the thing is, those who are pridefully resisting the rule and reign of Jesus, they too will bow their knees 
This is guaranteed. But they're going to be forced to do it. This is where we're going to see 2 Thessalonians 1.8 in action. Where the Lord Jesus will be inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And then you have the third group. Those under the earth. Fallen angels and all the unbelievers who are awaiting final judgment. Peter even tells us the extent of this announcement that Jesus is Lord. In 1 Peter 3.19, the demonic spirits that are in prison were also made aware of Jesus' new exalted authority. When Jesus went there between His death and resurrection and proclaimed to them in this prison that He has triumphed over them. Jesus wants everyone to know that He has won. And because of His incarnation, His death, His resurrection, and now His exaltation, He is in charge. And all this shows us the extent of our focus. That everyone everywhere will either now or one day bow their knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reality that's coming. But it doesn't have to be something that only is coming. It can happen right now. If we are going to be effective in proclaiming this this reality with Jesus, then the question is, is He Lord of your life? He has to be Lord of your life. If you want to see other people bow their knees to Him as Lord. He has to be the primary person you listen to for advice. He has to be the primary voice in your life, the authority you submit to when He does speak into your life. Or are we going to listen to family, our culture, society, and put them in a position where Jesus is supposed to be? You see, the more unified we are as a church, the more we have the right focus and missions of serving each other and reaching the lost, the more we can faithfully represent to them the King. And see people bow their knees to Him. But not only do we want to see people bow their knees, what else do we want to see? Verse 11. Seeing all people confess Him as Lord. Not just taking their knee in that posture of humility, but actually confessing Jesus as Lord. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 11. And the word tongue here is actually the word glossa, which doesn't simply refer to your literal tongue in your mouth. The word refers to more than that because it refers to a language. A language. In other words, no matter what people's language, every human, every angel, every demon will confess, whether it's in Shona or Tsonga, Afrikaans, Swahili, Zulu, Russian, French, Mandarin, every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. And confess is a strong word here. It means public declaration. It's not this private, under-the-radar, under-the-carpet kind of confession in secret. Becoming a Christian is not this private thing, because as you come to understand, Jesus is Lord. As you come to understand what He gave up in humility to become man, to save a sinner like you from your life of rebellion and pride and sin, 
You cannot do anything but proclaim and shout out that He is indeed Lord. And that is what we want to see. That is our focus, to have the right attitude of going low so that we can live lives to show people the exalted Lord Jesus. In fact, in Romans 10, verse 9, Paul says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That is our message. And the time for that confession is now. The time for that confession is now before it's too late. That is why we go. That is why we plant churches. That is why we send out missionaries. That is why we try and live for the King as a unified church. Because He's coming again soon. And people are either in fallen Adam, or they are in the exalted Christ. You're either in fallen Adam, or you're in the exalted Christ. And just based on what we have said here today, Think of the differences between Adam and Christ. Adam was made in the image of God. Jesus was the very essence of God. Adam wanted to be like God. Jesus took on the likeness of man. Adam wanted to exalt himself. Jesus emptied himself. Adam wasn't satisfied being God's servant. Jesus assumed the the form of a slave. Adam rejected God's word in sinful disobedience. Jesus humbly submitted to God's word in perfect obedience. Adam gave in to temptation. Jesus overcame temptation and crushed the tempter. Adam brought the curse on the world. Jesus took the curse for the world. Adam was condemned and disgraced. Jesus was exalted by the Father. Where are you? In Adam or in Christ? All of this is done to the glory of the Father. And so if we want to go glorify the Father, if you want to go high with Jesus, you need to go low like Jesus. You need to be willing to go low like Jesus. We need the right attitude as a church. We need to be humble people who are willing to set aside our preferences and our desires. Who are willing to serve and to get into the lives of others. We need to be willing to lay down our lives in obedience and serving God and being that slave that serves our Lord and King. But we also need the right focus. Understanding what it means that Jesus is exalted. And is reigning as Lord. To see every knee bow and submit to Him. Every tongue and people and nation confess that He is Lord. And all this truth motivates us to go where the gospel is needed. I mean, I was thinking about Jesus again. He simply said, follow me. Follow me. And Peter and Andrew, James and John, they saw something in Jesus. They saw something in Jesus that they would leave everything they had. And trust their future with Him. He said He will make them fishers of men. So let me ask you, what have you seen in Jesus? What have you seen in Jesus? Will you follow Him to Pretoria West? Will you follow Him right here in Hatfield? 
What humiliation are you willing to endure to see Jesus exalted in the lives of others? That is the question. What humiliation are you willing to endure to see Jesus exalted in the lives of others? Because if you think too much of yourself, you cannot answer that question. Let us pray that God helps us to be united as a church as we as we come alongside these guys and we get excited about sending them out to Pretoria West, having the right focus and the right attitude, seeing, wanting to see every knee bow and confess Him as Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for the, the overwhelming example of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, willing to humble himself in such significant ways that models to us what it looks like to be a true servant, a slave for the God of glory. Father, forgive us for pride. Forgive us for selfishness. For, forgive us for disunity. Help us to look at this text and be reminded of the, the beautiful unity that we have in Jesus, that as we go from here and we live out this, this, this call to make Jesus known to the ends of the earth, we do so humbly depending on you every step of the way. The fact that we can humbly serve one another puts that gospel on display. The fact that we can humbly reach out to others and, and, and that sometimes means we need to go. Some of us are called to go and leave where we are right now to make you known. Spirit of God, enable us to understand this in, in light of your gospel truth so we can go with confidence knowing that Jesus is in charge He is ro ruling and reigning over all and that we would humbled enough to see that we even you sinners like us as part of this work of expanding your kingdom what a privilege we pray all this in Jesus name Amen